0: Hello, my name is John Kennedy and joining me in this episode of Tape Notes are Sivu and producer Charlie Andrew. Sivu is the solo project of singer-songwriter James Page. James grew up in the sleepy market town of St. Ives, Cambridgeshire, and it was here as a teenager that his obsession with music started whilst playing bass guitar with friends in various bands. In 2010, James moved to London to pursue a career in music, where he juggled work as a session musician with a number of desk jobs before eventually forming his solo project, Sivu, a year later. Shortly afterwards, James met his future producer, Charlie Andrew, and through a shared love of Richard Hawley and Beck, the pair decided to record together, leading to Sivu's debut album, Something On High, released in 2014 on Atlantic Records. Charlie Andrew is a Mercury Music Prize and Brit Award-winning producer, mixer, songwriter and drummer in the band, Laurel Collective. In professional circles, Charlie is best known for his role as the producer of all three Alt-J albums, but other collaborations include the likes of Madness, Ray Morris, Nick Mulvey and Marika Hackman, to name a few. In 2016, Charlie announced the launch of his new record label and publishing ventures Square Leg Records and Big Tree Music, under which Sivu's latest album is being released. James and Charlie are here with me at Iguana Studios in Brixton to talk about the second Sivu album, Sweet Sweet Silence. And what better way to start that conversation than by hearing the title track. sounds of Sivu with Sweet Sweet silence the title track of the second Sivu album out on Square Leg Records. And Sivu is James Page. And with him is Charlie Andrew here in Iguana Studios in Brixton to talk about the second record. So a while back, we had a conversation about the first Sivu album. And we talked about how you two came together and the, the wonderful working relationship that you have together. Um, but... How did that um, evolve with uh, with a second album? When did the second album start to be created?
1: Uh, so, when did album one come out?
0: Two
2: thousand
0: and
1: fourteen. Right, and then that obviously did its thing. Yet to sort of, you know, tour that and do bits and bobs. And then there's probably a bit of a gap in time, wasn't there? Like, sort of yeah. life stuff.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, I know you you've moved out of london now so you're out
2: in the countryside i did so much yeah quite a lot's happened i guess because i think we started making this record what would have been start of 2016 properly i think maybe right yeah so yeah <clears throat> i mean i remember there was a couple of tracks that we did at the
1: end of the the first album campaign just to see where things could go one was quite quite a bombastic production and another one which we did in about sort of two or three hours was uh One of the other songs that we did in this same session and that what struck me was the one that we did in two three hours was had a real magic to it a real beauty to it and it was based around a sort of live performance of the song which is ultimately where like when if you see james perform solo it's it's a really special occasion that really draws you in whereas you know in the past maybe some of the tracks get you know quite production heavy and so we just, uh, I think that just made us think maybe we should take this one back to basics.
2: Absolutely. And I think that felt like a real turning point, I think, because in the past, everything perhaps was a little bit more considered and everything. So it was quite refreshing just to pull everything back and just, just go for it. Mm. And it was the first time, yeah, we thought more about a performance rather than perhaps layering things up as much.
1: Yeah, a sort of overall key to this album is capturing a lot of the space in the room a lot of the sounds of the room as vocal takes where the vocal mic's like 10 feet away from his mouth you know it's kind of not normal recording practice but just means it brings you into the space that James was in when he was performing it and it is you know on most of the songs there's a live performance and then we've embellished it maybe but it's that that uh heartfelt performance is in there which
0: so space seems key, both in where you recorded it, but also where you wrote the album as well. So where, where were you when you started writing the songs for the record and, and how did that have an effect on, on what you were writing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So so the album, kind of, the first album came out and then I toured that for about six weeks, um, just actually with my guitar player Lucy, so the performances were very stripped back. Um, and I think from a live perspective, that was the thing that, again, really excited me. And then I came off the back of that album And I wasn't really sure what was going on. I I was with a a label called Atlantic at the time. Um, It was becoming quite apparent that they weren't going to put out the second record. So I was in a little bit of a space where I wasn't sure if there was going to be another CV record, really. I was kind of a bit confused. Um, But then I just started writing again in my flat in Brixton. Um, And then I just kind of just thought I just needed to shake things up a little bit. And I just, my friend um, has a place in Ullapool in Scotland. And he just invited me up there just for a, a couple of days to write. And that was really inspiring. Just I just went completely on my own. I tried kind to of turn my phone off, um, and I just kind of went for walks every day. And I kind of made myself write a song every day. That made me really excited again. I kind of fell in love with songwriting again. And I think when coming back to Charlie with these demos wasn't we kind of just had, we met up, didn't we? Had a conversation about these tracks and what we were going to do. And you know, at the time, I had really nothing. <laughs> you know, I had no label. I had these songs, and Charlie was kind enough to kind of record them
1: yeah well i mean it, it goes it goes without saying that you know i was gonna if you know should you wanted to do it with me i was gonna do this record you know um and i remember when you first sent me a big load of demos i uh, i asked my local pub if we could use their function room <laughs> upstairs yeah we just thought to to go through all the tracks and i took a little boom box in and a notepad and bought a few pints (laughs) and we just sat there for the whole afternoon listening through them and then writing notes some some pre-production ideas where what we could do with each one and it was a really valuable afternoon i thought um just sort of starting to get a picture of what we could do with this record and
0: uh, yeah Yeah, it's interesting because you say you had nothing but you had these songs and you had rekindled your interest in in performing songs and writing songs which is the key really i would have thought what was the first song that you worked on for the record what was the first song that that emerged as as being one that needed to be recorded
2: <laughs> was maybe say childhood house yeah I would say. so we had yeah. those
1: two songs that we talked about before which was kind of pre the main album the one the one of those is a sort of more bombastic one has been sort of stripped back again to kind of fit on the record and made much more sense once we did that but for this for the main album yeah childhood house um we from again from that feeling if we wanted live takes i had this idea of we'd go to different locations to record them all and kind of capture the feeling of wherever we are and but this was before i'd really sort of immersed myself into the music so i just thought well this, we have this place in devon available to us let's go down there um and uh, me james and brett who was engineering we loaded up my car all the gear and got literally outside the driveway and um i basically had a new newborn daughter at the time and i mean you're you're a dad john i am <laughs> uh, uh you know i uh, think we we're sort of going through this transitional from from breastfeeding to bottle feeding and all the rest of it and she was refluxy i won't go into too many parental <laughs> details <laughs> but um Kirsty, my wife rang up and she was on the car phone and we we're all sat in the car and she was like look i can't i think i need a hand here you know this is uh it's too much. So basically we got out of the driveway from the studio and then <laughs> had to turn around and come back and unload the car again. So we didn't go to Devon. So that was off the cards. But uh, as a consequence to that, uh, I think a weekend later or yeah. something, we went down to um, to Kent to where the In the Woods Festival is actually um, with an idea. There's one of the songs on the on the album. is called My Moon River. And I just thought, well, it's going to be a clear <laughs> night. The moon's going to be out. And I know where there's a river, <laughs> so I just took it literally, and we just thought, let's record it in the middle of the woods at night, near a river, just see what happens. And we did, we did do that. We were out till about two, three in the morning, again with a few beers, but, yeah. uh, you know, just with mics up in trees and ne- literally micing the river and all these sort of things and just seeing what atmosphere was created. Um and it, yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, that particular recording didn't make <laughs> it on the album, but right. it, it was quite a nice, uh, quite a nice experiment. And I think but I'd the, like people to hear it one day. Yeah, yeah well, but the, song,
0: but the song is on the album. Yeah, um, but not that recording, not that version. Yeah.
2: But I think it's very interesting. And you can there's an owl hooting. It was there was quite a lot of hooting. And there was a river <laughs> and it sounded like a man weeing constantly in the background. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Massive bladder problem. Yeah.
2: But no, um, that was a, yeah, that was like a real special. I think that kind of sums up for me the making of this record. Really. Sure. It was quite, we just didn't really know what we were doing. But the idea of the heart of it was kind of that was it really, I think. Yeah.
1: But the the reason that, that story is relevant to sorry this song is that the next morning um, we set up in there's a sort of quite a large hall space in in this sort of old it's like 14th century building um, and there's a, a piano and it's not the best piano in the world at all but we just set up recorded the hall mic'd up the piano with a vocal mic for James and just got a whole load of takes for a Childhood House while we we're there and we came back and. Um, we had a really good take, which then we, back here at Iguana, we sort of embellished a bit. But essentially, it's this kind of classically recorded take that we've we've built it on, and that's what's on the record.
0: Excellent. And could we hear just the take that was made in in the hall sure. in this 14th century building in Kent? I think that sounds amazing. So, and how many microphones then did you approach for for this recording? Um, and
1: here you are, I think seven. Yeah,
0: seven on there. Seven. So
1: there's um we've got sort of various stereo pairs just to capture the room and and then obviously the stereo pair on the piano stereo pair of ambience um I think we were trying you know different distances from the piano as well as there is a vocal mic right in front of him but uh, it's interesting blending that into the into the stereo mix because it yeah to make it sound more natural really right so if I just play you this is all of them together You know that's that that's the sort of natural balance we've got going there so if i take off the vocal mic so there is quite a lot of vocal mic in yeah. there but i like to think it's a balance that doesn't sound too sort of modern and poppy in a way you know mm. yeah and then and they got these are the different mics you can just hear the difference So that's the sort of main balance. More of the room. And then what's this one? This is the piano. Piano spots. And then you've just got the vocal
3: mic.
1: And then that's all them together. Again. So that's, yeah, that's what we did. And that was a subsequent, you know, just a happy thing to happen the next day after we messed around in the woods trying to record <laughs> yeah. rivers
0: and things it sounds great that way the way that you've have kind of broken it down there and did you use that vocal performance that, um, yep, on the record yep, so that is it, it. Yep. so then you took everything that you recorded in that room at that point took it back to this room in iguana studios in brixton and you said charlie you added some some candy to it so <laughs> yeah. so what what <laughs> extra things did you think it needed
1: well so james has got this really cool old sort of reed organ thing with a with a fan in it that's louder than the actual organ i'm very proud of it so we basically added a sort of drone throughout which sort of added this level of i don't know it's quite ominous is that the word yeah absolutely um and so it sounds like this and that sort of basically just happens throughout right and again sort of might quite far off you can hear it's quite it's sort of not close sound. Um, I don't know if you noticed right at the beginning, you could hear the fan noise.
2: Is there a bit when it kind of all drops out as well, like, actually Yeah.
1: Between so, just- like, <laughs> so you can hear a fade out there, but it's yeah, you can hear that it's quite a noisy piece of kit.
0: Mm. And it's interesting because the way it sounds recorded is that it could be in the room that you recorded yeah. um, James's performance in, in a way.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, finding the right reverb for that was, you know, took a little while, but we, I think, we got it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. interesting and that's the only addition then or, uh, uh, no
1: no that's uh, there's just a little bit of, a bit of we've cushing. got Juno bass here <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't expect that in yeah. there <laughs> <I>? no <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's some vocal harmonies Such
3: cries, so,
1: so that sort of enhances things and then there was a kind of like a lot of the takes we didn't spend long time on we yeah. just sort of jammed through a few times and just picked the best bits. so we didn't want to overthink it and I think we got quite, something quite special so there's a kind of Juno top part so it's just flicking the octave button button and just I think one of us was on the octave button while the other one yeah. was just randomly playing that happened a few times <laughs> um yeah, so there's things like that. And then the other thing is the percussion that comes in on the second half, which was a music stand and I think the box to my kick drum. Yeah, that's just a boom. Which is nice big low thud. Again, mic'd a long way off. And you get kind of that <laughs> sort wow. of thing. And that's the music stand. <laughs> so yeah. And that was that I think that was just one one take, really, just sort of seeing what felt right i just stood there with some felt sticks and just hit stuff
2: yeah amazing uh, yeah the best bit of thing is near the end because it all kind of falls apart almost like yeah. it would think i was going a little bit out of time but well,
1: that's just my plan <laughs>
2: <laughs> but i really like that about it
1: so yeah there's just kind of and if i then i'd take that out so... and then it goes back to how it started which yeah. is just the long drone
0: and and is there a point that we can hear where all of those things are playing together so that we having sure. heard the different elements and yeah. um, we can hear actually how you we well, so go in from together. the uh,
1: i'll go in for the second verse
3: Christ I did what I
0: But, there you go yeah th- that sounds great so i guess the question has to be asked what is the song about
2: yeah uh, this well the song was wrote in in other actually um and the song is just about this idea of i think when you're growing up you have these you know you're so you're naive to the world and all these things happen and um if, if i could see myself as a child now how would i kind of reflect on my life really it was kind of like that and i think the whole time i was kind of thinking about that you know where, where am i at what am i doing and this song Really sum that up, and I think it had a real rawness to about it. And I think, from a production point of view, I think it kind of captures that really. I didn't. I think it wouldn't have worked if we'd gone all polished on it. I just think it would have not felt right really. Mm.
0: You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Take Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organizing and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labeling features including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organize set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts and excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. Really interesting to hear the evolution of, of how that song um, grew and became what it is on the record. Um, one of the other songs we were going to talk about was Drastic Change and it seems that in some ways the, the very title suggests and indicates that there have been some drastic changes in your life, James. Yeah. Um. I mean, not just on a, an artist level in terms of um putting out a debut album with Atlantic Records and that that situation changing, but other things going different. Yeah. Uh, what? No, I was going to say well, other things changing. No. Yeah. So what, what, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So um, this song was actually the last song I wrote, which
2: made it on the album, and I was living in Brixton. Um, I think I was. I just felt a little bit stuck, I think, I think with everything that happened prior to that and I was living here still and I wasn't, I just felt like I was stuck in a bit of a routine. I wasn't enjoying living in London. I was taking, a, I just took advantage of it all and I just felt like I just couldn't keep going. So I just, uh, me and my partner decided just to just move out. We had an opportunity to move into a house in the middle of in a little town called Warboys, and we just did it and I really needed that and I think that was really important to, this whole album finishing and i think me as a person kind of moving forwards and i just wanted this song was a very literal way of literally how i was feeling at the time i literally felt like i needed a drastic change really and, and, it, and that's what it was so it was it's been perfect it's been exactly what i've needed and, it, and i think i needed that kind of kind of spark kind of relit again and um, and this song literally sums it up i think
0: hmm.
2: yeah i hope so no i think <laughs> should, <so. laughs>
0: should, should, should what should we hear first should we hear the the finished or a, a burst of the finish song um, before we sure. hear it all the parts broken yeah, down yeah. So drastic change, you know that that song, one of the last songs on that you re- recorded and wrote?
2: Yes. I think that yeah. was pretty much
0: the last one recorded. It was, yeah. Might mm-hmm. have been the 100%. last one, yeah. Yeah. And that reflected your need for a personal change in, in terms of where you were living and how you were living. Yeah. And that kind of thing. Um how did you go about realizing that then um into what we've just heard? You know What what had you recorded or, or for yourself? Well, I think
2: when we were talking about references, weren't we? I think I'm trying to think what we were listening to at the time. I'm sure there was probably a Beck track that we probably listened to, <laughs> like, most, like, most <laughs> like most things. Um, and, but we definitely like the idea of having it again performed live. But being, I think, with a band just felt really nice. I think mm-hmm. a lot of this record is perhaps more acoustic in the, in the fact there's like you know it's not much going on in terms of live players. Really. Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, this was all a live take again. Well, to say all, I mean, there's, there's a, obviously a few drop-ins and harmonies and things like that. But um, essentially I was on drums. Cyrus, who has toured with James in the past and a really, really great bass player on bass. Um, And um, Simon from the band Frank actually came down and um, to do sort of like a lead guitar jamming sort of track on top uh, in, in the live performance. And it was all, it was, it sounds a bit cliche, but this, to get this take was all about the vibe. So it was turn the lights down. Um, there's uh, a guy that we know called Adam. Um, literally to get the vibe right, he 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 likes he likes to have you know have a token on the odd joint. <laughs> so it just got him to literally sit in the corner smoking. <laughs> um, and um, you know it, it was probably bright sunshine outside, but there's no windows in here, so it was very sort of dimly lit, very smoky atmosphere, and. Uh, Yeah, I think it just fitted fitted the vibe of the track, really. And uh, because it's that live thing, we're always, you know, it's not all gridded up and nice and clean. There is an edge sound of, like, you know, being on edge, you know, because we're all kind of just about locking in together. And it's, you know, it doesn't sound too loose, actually, but it's not rigid. Um, And like I say, Simon just sort of jamming over the top, really, uh, doing his thing.
2: I think the best thing about Simon was he added... You can kind of tell his personality by the way he was playing on the guitar. He just added a real kind of weird oddness to it, you know, from his guitar playing. and his, Yeah, it, I think that really shows. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And later on, there's a, there's a main sort of counter melody hook that comes in. So we sort of introduce strings and things on top of the live recording, um, just to sort of embellish it a little bit. We've even got some brass on here by the looks of it.
0: Yeah, who was doing the brass? Uh...
1: Mr. MIDI synthesizer. <laughs> <laughs> he's think, very reliable. He's very reliable. <laughs> great. Uh, yeah, he's um, for this one. I think it was just a sort of low-end bolster, so it kind of we got away with. It didn't sound bad at all. We figured yeah, it in perfectly. Yeah, it um, does. It
0: does sound like a, a human performing <laughs> the, the brass there. So I mean, should we hear some of the elements broken down? But it'd be interesting to yeah. hear um, aspects of drastic change before Simon starts. Wailing on his guitar in a way. <laughs> yeah, so maybe sure. it may maybe hear James um, performing the song on his own and then the band come in yeah. um, a little bit. Okay,
1: so bit. this is James's guitar part.
3: Past light, colors roam around my
1: so that's the song, <laughs> basically. That, you know,
3: then.
1: Introduce drums.
3: Give me love, give me life, give me sweetness.
1: On top of the drums, we have overdubbed an extra sort of it's trashy tambourine sound to sort of bolster it. Change. Then there's a shaker to give it a bit of pace.
3: It's time for a
1: and then I'll bring in Cyrus. Be
3: my cure.
1: Be my life. And also, they've got a sub bass here, which is just, I don't know if that's even coming through, but it's just more for the feeling rather than being able to hear it. Um, I've got this old, I'm just gonna, yeah, I've got this old guitar amp, which is a vinyl player as well. Which looks, James was playing through. It looks incredible. So um yeah, it just looks very, very cool. <laughs> That's kind of what I bought it. It, it does it does sound, I also bought it with this Japanese guitar, toy guitar. Which
0: this which we did use on that track actually. Yeah, so
1: you're playing that through you know. Through, James
0: has just picked it up. It's quite a small bodied guitar, yeah, isn't it? It's
2: very light. it's a, it's a toy guitar. Yeah. It's, is it uh, it's just the first recording it's been on as well, am I right in saying? It
1: is, yeah. I bought it yes. thinking this is an amazing combination and then every time I sort of compared it to a, a Strat or something like that through a, <laughs> like a, a you know Fender Twin or something. I was like, nah, it kind of is better, isn't it? Damn it! <laughs> but for this, it sounded spot on. Yeah. Um, but having said that, we did did then reamp it as well through an old AC30 just just to give it some extra welly as well. But yeah. um, so but when he's doing the take, he's going through this little vinyl guitar
0: amp thing.
1: With the toy guitar,
0: <laughs> it sounds great. I mean, but it, I mean, it, you say it's a toy guitar, but it's made of wood. Yeah, um, it's very it's, well made. Yeah, it looks pretty impressive, but it's slightly slightly smaller dimensions.
1: Meant for, meant for smaller people. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like um, and like you said, it's a short neck.
0: Yeah, so that's all going on, and then that's all going on. Yeah, Adam's in the corner providing the vibes. Yes, hundred percent. He did that very well. <laughs> and Simon's lurking around, waiting for his moment to to crank it up.
1: Yep, yep. So um, we also in addition to what you've just heard, if I carry on playing. Mm. So, actually, we'll come back to that as an overdub, so that there's an acoustic guitar. I can just, I don't know if you can even hear that. <laughs> there is an acoustic guitar in there, <laughs> believe it or not. I just thought this might be quite interesting to hear. That's the microphone that's kind of just capturing the room so the guitar amp room the door was open so spilling in there's you can hear James singing and there's quite a lot of that in the blend and what you're hearing there is Simon's riffing and that's, main, that's the main sound for Simon's jamming sound yeah. so if I bring back in what we were listening to it take me a little while So yeah, so you can hear on that on that ambient mic is where all Simon's jamming is coming from, Be my um, And then as the track gets a bit heavier, can bring in in his spot mics that kind of help him cut across. So that's James and Simon now playing
3: together.
1: and then because we did a few takes um for simon did well after after we did it simon then did another take through and actually at this point we use both of his live performance and the extra take on top and you get this sort of mayhem going on just lots of guitars flying around really you can hardly hear them <laughs> but the, the main thing the main icing on the cake I felt was was the strings on yeah the strings one. at the end so basically we've, we're hearing everything now apart from strings there was a percussion overdub as well So they, like I say, they they sort of bolster that counter melody that's in the track, um, sound quite mysterious.
0: Yeah, of. interesting, they have a sitar-like quality to them, hearing them in isolation like yeah.
1: that. Yeah, uh, interesting, you should say, about sitar, a... John, there is <laughs> what's called a dilruba, which is like a bowed sitar in the track doing this. Just lots of weird noises. Again, it adds that element of sort of eeriness, kind of kind of gets used a lot in the horror movie soundtracks and stuff like mm. that. <laughs> so that's going. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's that's the that's drastic change change in how we put it together. Yeah,
0: fascinating to hear it like that and to hear how it, it built up and um d- you wanted to create an eeriness to the song, um, to for for what reason? I just think
2: building a real tension seemed really important, and especially when because to be honest, we hadn't really thought about it. We had the demo, of me singing acoustically, and then it wasn't until we started playing it that naturally we, we kind of felt like we all kind of moved it together, didn't we? It was constantly like it was constantly building bigger and bigger and bigger, and we kind of just went with it. And I think the space we were all in at the time, it kind of worked quite well because. <laughs> We were just literally really jamming we hadn't really spoken too much about it when everyone came in we just kind of said do your thing like cyrus was kind of following charlie's drumming he was kind of just holding it down and then you know simon was just doing whatever he wanted <laughs> which was perfect i think
1: yeah yeah so i mean he just came in didn't know what to expect james was just just here's the songs you know just played it to him
0: but it kind and of fra- it was just like yeah just do what you want with it amazing So, um, I mean, drastic change helped articulate your personal circumstances and and your need to find some kind of drastic change that would put you in a a happier place. But there are some physical changes going on with you, James, that um, do come out in the album and are pretty relevant in some ways i mean the album's called sweet sweet silent we heard um that the the album version right at the start of this podcast and we're going to talk about that song um specifically now um but it ties in with um a physical change in, in you personally, um, I'm, I'm trying to find the right <laughs> words to, to describe, but I need you to to explain what's been going on. Yeah, of course. Um, so I have a hearing condition called Meniere's disease. Um, I've had it
2: for about five years. Um, it's basically a, in, in an ear condition. Um, I have it primarily in my right ear, but it's like a fluid imbalance in the ear. Um, it causes like dizziness, um, like, vertigo and sickness and hearing loss uh, and tinnitus as well and um i think ryan adams famously is known to have it as well but it was something that um i've always had and it hadn't really caused any problems from a a musician or or, on my life it was only probably been around the same time actually as we started writing this record actually that my hearing loss was getting quite bad in my right ear um and that was quite scary and then uh yeah and just kind of addressing that really it, it and i you know i'm very lucky that i've i've been treated by great doctors and things like that and um it's kind of under control at the moment but you know unfortunately it's one of those things that is degenerative and i do unfortunately i have it in my left ear as well so you know is that kind of thing one day you know worst case scenario i you know i may not be able to hear music anymore um so there was a real sense of of urgency when i'm and writing and, and i feel that it was something that i really wanted to out there i think especially you know, i was quite I, I haven't really spoke about it before um but it felt really important to talk about it with this especially with that song and i think lyrically it really sums up you know this idea of the world is kind of getting more quiet but, it, but i wanted it to be, have a real positive spin on it as well you know i'm kind of enjoying you know, making the most of it you know why you know and taking every day as it comes but that you know challenging as that has been a real challenge um and it definitely from a live point of view you know i've had to reassess some things but you know, I, you know, I should say that you know, right now I'm in a very good place and it's on kind of on being managed, you know, medically and things.
1: But, I mean, like I said before, it has led to these songs that come from a very heartfelt place that... And I'm not saying album one didn't have heartfelt no. songs, but this is obviously really very important subject matter for James in particular, and that really comes across in the songwriting.
0: Mm. And Sweet Sweet Silent as a title and as a phrase, I mean, that would suggest that... You know, silence is golden and that is something that is important as well that you know to have quiet. Yeah. Um and that takes on a different kind of significance for you now, James, I suppose. Moments of quiet, having quiet around you probably help your condition. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And I think definitely from a performance point of view now, doing a more of an intimate gig setting is probably a more comfortable setting rather than before playing with a full band in like a rowdy room. So again i think that was another the, the fact this r- album is more stripped back felt really important because that's how i'm probably going to be touring the album so i didn't want to do a record that was too ambitious that we people would come see
0: it live and want to hear more so
1: yeah the the, the, the sort of quiet moments are just as relevant as the loud moments mm.
0: and with the song sweet sweet silent when when did this come to you and how did it arrive and evolve and you no know, it was it directly connected to many us or or...
2: it it was like with a lot of things i think when i wrote it i wasn't consciously thinking about it um the idea of this sweet sweet song i had this idea of you know i just had the idea of you know everything was getting quieter, and i quite uh, liked the romantic spin of it i was like okay um but i it wasn't this song came really quickly i always find with me for me personally the songs i like the most are the ones that involve the least thought and they kind of subconsciously just came out and this song was definitely like that um i think from a production point of view I really like the idea of it feeling quite almost 70s-esque with the kind of really baggy drums. And I think I was listening to like Mac DeMarco at the time and stuff, just his kind of laziness to it. And I, that felt really exciting. So when we started talking about the production side of it, I think we were definitely on the same page, I think, with that respect as well, weren't yeah, we? Yeah, so. 100%.
1: Um, and this one was tackled in a quite a similar way. Uh, Adam wasn't in the room <laughs> no. creating the vibe <laughs> on this one. But uh, myself on drums again... Cyrus on bass um, and James was just fleshing out the harmony with marking the chords on the, on the Juno keyboard to, to, to give it that sort of vintage synth sound
0: So did it, did it, did it start with a demo or did you think you, know, you had a demo and thought right let's try and capture this song as a performance and so you, know, you put the demo to one side and then came into it, it yeah. Was it in Iguana that you, you did the recording? Yeah exactly yeah. that
1: So this, shall I play the demo? Hmm. This is the original demo
3: Sweet silence grows in a right to the core. Give me what my hands adore. It's coming back for me. Sleek skipping stone. Sinking to your jagged floor Driving through your darkest pores is, poor, is coming back for me You can hold me underwater Till I go blue and plastic
0: so was that demo recorded on your own james or or with charlie um that was in brixton
2: actually where i used to live just in in my flat um i think because initially when i always wrote i'd always wrote on a guitar um and for this process i'd started playing a lot more keys and stuff like that so that was just like a little little synth line that i just had um and some brilliant fake drums that i found on logic (laughs) um and that was it but that was just yeah that was like the heart of the song i i think a lot more with this record as well i was trying to emulate sounds that i wanted rather than before it would just perhaps be a bit more of a demo with me and acoustic guitar with this one i wanted to have a little bit of a soundscape how i pictured it in my mind just so i could show that to charlie because perhaps in the past Mm. i've probably wasn't very good at explaining what i wanted so charlie would kind of have to fill the gaps for me so i kind of thought if i'd caught something down then charlie would kind of get the essence which yeah it's interesting
0: hearing that um in contrast to um the demo that we heard when we were talking about your debut album um, on the tape notes series, where you know this was a a, a, a guitar played into a phone, and sure. and it sounded really, really raw, and and for want of a better word, very basic. You know? yeah. and then hearing that blossom into how it um, evolved into the the debut album recording was really interesting. So I mean, already there's a sophistication in in your own demoing on your own, so that you can articulate yourself better to Charlie, and then help realize the the end um of the song. And so then having heard that and having thought about that, you came to iguana to to a performance recording of it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think like the demo is, is it's kind of a, like a drum machine basically, you know, on, on logic. But uh we wanted to steer away from that. We wanted to, again Absolutely. bring in the live performance element of it. So thus the uh the three of us jamming through. Um also what's not on the demo is is a continually moving bass line that's just gives it an extra pace through doesn't it yeah absolutely um, which was a nice little touch i think because
2: was- i think when, when going back to when we actually met at the pub actually that time i spoke about it i remember you humming that bass, this exact bass line that was on it and i remember being quite scared of it at first because it was such a it was so moving i think in the past bass guitar was always just two notes or it was just like marking chords where this one it was a bit bolder and mm. i was a little bit intimidated by it and i think even remember being in the studio when we were listening to the mixes i was like oh, not sure if I like this, but when Charlie put it in context with everything else, it it really gave gave it that sense of movement, which I think it really needed, rather than just yeah. being a bit droney. I think it really.
1: I think yeah. that's what I was missing from the demo. It just yeah it, it was too kind of yeah droney, I suppose, mm. just a bit lethargic. Whereas this way, it still has that sort of slack, sort of slow feel, but the drive the drive of the bass just kind of keeps it bouncing along. Which-
0: so let's let's hear that uh, melodic bassline then that you that you came or okay. sorry moving yep. it's the movement that yeah, the is movement the key of it, yeah so
1: so it kind of the pace of it does pick up as the song moves on so it sort of gets busier and busier really and then if i add in the drums
0: So, and who's playing the bass on, on that little bit? It's Cyrus again. So that is Cyrus again, and, yep. do you, and you doing the drums, or that was that yep. drum machine? No, no, no. That's, no, no. no. Yeah. Ah, like <laughs> <that's what laughs> You're so it. tight. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, no, that was me on drums again. Um, quite a kind of, I think there's like a towel on my snare and stuff, quite a dead sound to it, which we wanted. It sort of makes it sound quite sort of 70s, like James mentioned. The kind of so we're not really sticking to one era because we've got an 80s synth on a 70s drum sound but it's you know it all kind of seems to work yeah yeah well this is 2017 baby <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, and with uh, sweet,
0: sweet sweet silent then so you came in we, you know we heard a bit of the the bass and and the drums coming in um let's hear how that that track then built up into the the finished realized version that we hear cool. on, on the album
1: so this is the three of us playing so we didn't bring James in so James is on the Juno And quite a lot of that sound is through an amp, and as the again, making sure we hear the room is really important. So this is actually the distant mic off the guitar amp with the Juno's playing through. And another interesting thing with this track was um, that we were worried that we played it too quick. Mm. And then we slowed it down in, in the computer. And then Recorded some bits bits on top, and then we thought, well, now nah, it's too slow, so we put it back to the original speed. But then the audio had been manipulated both ways, and the drum sound of that was created by doing that suddenly became a lot fatter and sounded great. And I've actually ended up mixing now the original drum sound with the one that was processed both ways. For some reason it just sounds, but I, I can't explain why it does, but it does. It definitely. So does. we've got this sort of much beefier drum sound. From from just not being indecisive (laughs) on our tempos, really. Um, So that was quite a nice little stumble.
0: And so you just heard it and thought, actually, that sounds. I prefer the sound of that. (laughs) Good. We need to keep that.
1: So it's a little trick that I might try in the future. Try again, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah. So what else have we got on that? So that's the live take, and then we've again got an acoustic guitar, just really quietly, just sort of strumming, marking away on the chords. And you can, so again, lots of sort of stereo stuff going on there just to make you bring you into the space there. I think there's, in fact, there's two takes of you there. Yeah. Um, So bring back the other stuff. So it's quite a simple arrangement. This is it, really. This is kind of, but to provide the extra sort of intrigue um down the line we brought in a string arrangement that we were all very very proud of yeah absolutely. um so again my wife Kirsty did all the strings on this record um and we we sort of worked through the arrangements with her um
2: some some ideas of the strings you'd already done at home hadn't you i think there's a song on the album called lonesome where there was just like the melody was there but Kirsty, being Kirsty, just made it a thousand times better, um, and I think it, it's Kirsty. This whole record is a really integral part because she really went all out on the strings on this. Because because the song, the nature, of the songs are so stripped back, there was so much room just to fill them with strings. And Kirsty spent a lot of time on these amazing arrangements with Charlie. And some of the songs, it completely like this song. When the strings come in it just flips it to a completely different world i think mm. i mean i remember t- us uh, sitting here and charlie was asking kirstie just to, to play around with some ideas but kirstie didn't know that charlie was actually just recording them at the time so we were getting these string arrangements that she wasn't perhaps thinking about but those parts kind of became yeah it was just a really and that's I think,
1: quite true on, on lonesome uh some of the album it's just see you know just jam something and then it's actually the opening thing of the track she she wasn't wanting to be recorded at the time, but it just worked and then it ends up fitting in the track elsewhere as well. But on, on this one, I think we, we didn't want all the tracks, we didn't want them to be quite generic strings hearts, yeah, exactly. just like filling in the chords. That's That would just be really boring and, and just filling up space that we want to keep empty. So it was just a case of like each section just, I don't know, just like coming up with an idea and then flipping that idea in its head really and just seeing what sticks. So if I, if I play from when the strings first enter, Sort of a tremolo, sort of run down. Just keeps sort of going. Quite
2: uncomfortably as well, I can call it. This is melodic.
1: So this is sort of providing a counter melody to what James is singing. It's actually really nice and you know it's sort of sounds like a normal string part and then we just sort of go very discordant. So that's actually that's actually quite a one of the more straightforward string parts. That actually. really is, actually, in nice, hindsight. Uh, yeah. On "Lonesome," mm-hmm. it, it is quite odd and just kind of doing weird stuff, which you wouldn't expect. Whereas in this case, it's actually more of a counter melody that's quite lovely to to listen to. Again, it sort of sounds kind of vintage, yeah, in a way. Mm-hmm. It's interesting
0: just, though because you have that little tiny discordant section as well, mm-hmm. which seems to me that you know, with with the album as a whole and with some of the songs, you no, know, there is this element of disquiet or. The tension that you're referring to the the uncertainty that is maybe part of your condition and um the the reality of many as for you as you no know, and that you're trying to feel around with creating these songs and and writing songs uh, you know this is going on in the background all the, all the time, which must be you know both a, a very worrying and scary thing as you, as you've said James mm-hmm. you no know.
2: yeah absolutely um and I think it yeah I think that makes the record kind of a little bit uneasy as yeah like you said before and and there is a kind of in every track there is something always counter counteracting with the loveliness almost almost of the tracks you know there's mm. yeah some just of yeah up it's kind of
1: um i don't know bittersweet a lot of it there's lots of sort of bleak moments mixed in with a kind of uplifting sort of edge to it yeah know? um one thing that we added to this one to add to that feeling of uneasiness was the vocal effect Sweet so that's James singing. Scrolls. And then we added this sort of pitch shifter. Sweet Sweet island Which sort of sounds like this weird sort of devil voice underneath <laughs> sort of. Um, and it's sort of mixed at a level where, I don't know, you can't, you're aware of it, but it's not overpowering. It's just kind of there. And it sort of the hope is that, you know, if you're listening on headphones or something, suddenly it suddenly becomes this thing that you of can focus on even more yeah and just go oh that's a bit weird yeah <laughs> you know it just sort of yeah again again it's that bittersweet thing
2: yeah and i think um saying to charlie while you're here i think that's something that charlie really adds i think he kind of will always you're never going to get a straightforward song when you record with Charlie you know there's always going to be something odd happening at some point you're a weird guy so um, <laughs> but I think that's really important and I think to, especially to my music Charlie adds that element where perhaps if I worked with another producer this album could have been you know an acoustic guitar and me very, perhaps a very perhaps more straightforward but I feel like we've made it a little bit odd which was needed I think just added the
0: strangeness hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But, it, but it's important I mean one of the great things and the fascinating thing about talking to you um, a, about this process is, is learning how vital that is to realising and articulating um, a, a body of work and a, a, a series of songs you know, mm-hmm. and trying to get them to a point where you can have these you know, elements of disquiet in there not to make them unlistenable and, and inaccessible but instead to, to help realise and, and explain that sense of unease that is going on um, within your your life, for whatever various reasons, And yeah. it's not just for the for the sake of it to create something scary or anything like that. It's, it's because you want you know to create beautiful music. That's kind of the aim, I, I think, of what Vu is is yeah, all about. Absolutely, and um, you know that is uh, that the fundamental thing that you achieve. But there are these other elements that um, give it extra weight and and significance. I think that you know you've managed to achieve here and explain. Uh, really well in, in in great detail and it's always um such a great opportunity to be able to hear how these things pull together and and are created no. and and i think the only way to to round this off is by hearing the whole of sweet sweet silence or at least that all the elements brought together in 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 all their lush glory um and um, i think that would be a good way to to round up take notes this time round. um thanks so much uh for inviting um us in to to Get the background behind the album. Um, Thank you. Charlie James. thank Thank you very much, John. Tape Notes is brought to you by In the Woods. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, plus, check out their barn sessions on YouTube. All links are in the episode description. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, tell your friends about us, and make sure you're subscribed so you can enjoy the latest episodes when they're released. Until next time, I'm John Kennedy. Thanks for listening.